Yeah, good morning, Common Ground. Um, as Colin mentioned, my name is Ardine. And yeah, we're expecting our first little one. <laughs> so yeah, for those of you watching online, it is true that the camera adds 10 pounds, but <laughs> this is an eight-month baby <laughs> that's busy growing here. <laughs> Um, but anyway, today I have yeah, the privilege just to share with you the next part of our series. We've been in Exodus, and yeah, I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying this series. I think often I look at the New Testament, I focus on the stories of Jesus, um, but as I've just been coming back and to Exodus, and as we've been doing this series, I've really just been reminded of who God is, um, and that He's this big generational God, because I think sometimes we can see Jesus, and because He was a man, we can somehow um, summarize him or box him up, or we can compare ourselves to this human that used to live on um, the earth. But as we look at the New Testament, I think it's really just elevated my eyes upwards to realize that, sure, God is so much bigger. He's so much bigger than just a human um, that lived on this earth selflessly. He's, yeah, this big generational God. He's holy. He's awesome. Um, and so today we are going to be looking at the character and the nature of God. Um, but yeah, before we do that, I thought, um, let me just give us a little bit of a recap. Uh, maybe for those of you who are new or just needing a reminder of where exactly we are in the story. So we are in week six. Um, we've been following the story of the Israelites. And the Israelites are slaves in Egypt under the command of Pharaoh. And God says, um, Israelites are his chosen nation, and he approaches a man, Moses, and says to Moses, um, I want to free my people, um, and I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. And after a bit of resistance from Moses, um, he takes his brother Aaron, and they go to Pharaoh, and they say to um, him, God is telling you to let his people go. But Pharaoh um, doesn't budge. His heart is hardened, and he will not let um, the Israelites go. And so what God does is he brings about ten plagues upon Egypt. Um, and after the tenth plague, Pharaoh finally says, okay, uh, I let the people go. And so Moses um, leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And as they are traveling and as they are going, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he sends his men after them and the chariots, and they are going after the Israelites. And the Israelites, they've been journeying, and they hit this, the Red Sea. And they look in the distance behind them, and they see that the Egyptians are coming up after them. But they, the Red Sea is blocking them. So what do they do? How do they escape? But God makes a way. God um, splits the Red Sea for them, and they are able to um, cross to the other side. And when the last man, woman, livestock, child has stepped foot on the other side, God closes in the waters, and the Egyptians are destroyed. And so today we will be taking the story on from there, um, from the Red Sea moment. Um, the Israelites actually respond to God in this moment by praising him. And we actually read in chapters 15, half the, um, the chapters just about them praising God for what um, he had done that day for them. So yeah, let us um, carry on from there. But before we do, I'm just going to pray for us quickly. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you that today we can come look at your word. We can come look at, um, yeah, the Old Testament, Lord, and just be reminded of the bigness of who you are, the foundation of where it all started. Lord, I pray that you would just come and 
um, yeah, help us not to be distracted, Lord. Would you just come um, open our hearts and our minds and just really come and speak to each one of us this morning. And yeah, Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me in your name. Amen. And so, yeah, today um, I have the privilege of sharing um, Exodus 15 to 17 with you. Um, and today we will be looking at the character nature of God. And um, we're going to be looking at the Israelites and what, um, how God is wanting to show himself to them. But he also wants to show a little bit about um, the Israelites to themselves. So, um, yeah. So now we've seen that the Israelites, they've just come from the Red Sea. They've been praising God. Um, but slowly those words come to a fade when they start to realize where they are. You see, God had promised them this land of milk and honey, but all of a sudden they look around and they see that they find themselves in the complete opposite place. They're in a dry, barren desert. And the thing is, is God is going to use this dry and barren um, desert to teach them something. So let us uh, read on and see what events are going to happen today in the desert. Um, Exodus 15, you can follow um, with me from verses 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And so here we find ourselves, the Israelites are three days into their journey, and they have um, run out of water. And um, yeah, how do these Israelites respond? They respond by grumbling to Moses. The human cannot live without water for three days, and so their concern for water is very relevant, but it is the attitude that's a little bit wrong in this situation. Three days ago, they were praising God. We read um, in the beginning of Exodus 15, they were saying things like, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. And so here we see three days ago, they were praising God they, for um, opening and parting the oceans. But now when they're faced with undrinkable water, they blame Moses. They don't even, um, yeah, they don't turn to God. The God who had literally demonstrated his power and his might through the ten plagues. The God who had literally rescued them out from Egypt. The God who had um, parted the Red Sea for them. And the God who was leading them with a cloud by day and a flame by night. All of a sudden, they doubt that this God can even take care of a little water problem. And so here we see, yeah, the Israelites get to this bitter water. They get to this pool of Mara, and the water is not drinkable. Because in the scripture, it tells us that the water was bitter, but actually we know that it was brackish. So they would physically get sick if they drank this water. And so here they are needing to trust God, but they're grumbling to Moses because they are thirsty. And the thing is, is that this pool of Mara is very much like the condition of their hearts. It is bitter. They cannot have faith in God. They are grumbling to the God that had just saved them. Let's look at how God responds. God um, is very gracious. He doesn't address their grumbling or anything. Immediately when Moses comes to the Lord and says, God, we need water, God immediately responds. 
You see, he tells Moses, he shows him a, a log or a tree, and he says, Moses, I want you to go to that log or that tree, and I want you to throw that tree into this bitter water. And so Moses obeys, and he goes to this tree, and he throws the a log into the water, and the water becomes sweet and fit to drink. And then God not only leads them to this water or provides this water for them, he then leads them to a place called Elam. And at Elam, there are 12 springs of water, which is um, a spring for every tribe. There are 70 palm trees there, and they can just rest and camp by this water. And so we might ask ourselves, why did God not lead them straight to Elam, the place where there was all this water, all these palm trees? Why should they have faced that bitter water of Mara at all? The thing is, God had led them there, and we know that God led them there because he was leading them with a cloud by day. And so this cloud did lead them there. It wasn't that the Israelites read their map wrong and somehow they just got to this wrong location. God had led them there for a purpose because he wanted to show them this bitter water at Mara. And because he wanted to address their hearts and the condition of their hearts. You see, um, they too were like Pharaoh. They had hardened their hearts towards God. And so God was not just interested in getting them to this destination of the promised land. He didn't just want to yeah, take them to this land flowing with milk and honey. He was interested in um, their hearts. He wanted to come and teach them and show them. And he was going to use this barren and dry landscape, this wilderness, to teach them. And he was going to do that over the course of 40 years. Spoiler alert, they, they're not getting out of the desert anytime soon. But you see, our God wanted to not only take them out of Egypt, he wanted to take Egypt out of them. Because you cannot be living in a land of freedom, still thinking like a slave. And so in order for them to know that they are free, in order for them to fully accept this land of freedom, they had to know who had set them free. They had to first come and see who God is, who is this, this man and this God that has set us free and this um, promised land that he has given us. And so today we might think, yeah, these Israelites, but let's be honest, I don't actually think we are talking about the Israelites here today. We are not looking in as outsiders at some ancient events because we have a lot in common with these Israelites. In fact, we are the Israelites. How often have we forgotten what God has done for us? On Sunday, we praise him, and then three days into the week, something happens at work or a situation happens, and all of a sudden, we just forget who God is and we grumble. That moral life just pours out of us. And we suffer from something called spiritual amnesia, where we just forget. We just cannot remember the goodness of God. We cannot remember the things that he has done in the past for us. And do you notice that there was no new revelation of God at Elam, where there was all this water, as there was the revelation at Mara, the bitter water? Because at Mara, where things were tough, God reveals himself and his character as a God who can heal. And that is what God does. He takes the difficult situations that we face to teach us new things about himself. It's not always in the good times. It's not always where there is plenty. But then somehow we want to run away from the situation. We don't want to face the tough things in life. 
but it is those situations that God is coming to say, I want you to face it head on because there's something I need to teach you. There's something I want you to see. I want to strengthen your faith. And just like God is using this situation at Mara to teach the Israelites and us, there is no situation that we will ever face that he does not have a solution for. And that in any situation that we face that is tough, we should always turn to him. We should approach him. We should trust him. We should have faith because he will come through for us. And the thing is, here God at Mara, he reveals himself as a healer. But as mentioned today, he is a generational God. And so he not only reveals himself as a healer here, we know that in the Bible, he is so consistent. He continues to show us who he is. He is the same today, tomorrow, as he was yesterday. And so today, in the story, we see him as a healer. But God did not only want to come and heal this physical situation. He didn't just want to come and heal this water. He wants to come and heal the Mara waters of our hearts. And the Israelites, they just cannot see this bigness of this moment just yet because they are too focused in on their thirst. But thousands of years later, we have, we have seen God as a healer. Because what instrument did God use to heal this water? He used a tree. And just as he would thousands of years later, he would use the tree of Calvary to come and ultimately heal our hearts. Jesus would drink the bitter cup and he would take on our sin, he would take on our disease, and he would take on the wrath of God against our Egypt rebel hearts so that we could have a sweetness of a life with him. And so here today God is saying, I'm not only a healer of the situation, I am an ultimate healer. God is our healer. And so we see the Israelites, they move on from this place called Elam, and now they're heading on to the desert of sin. Definitely a pun intended there. <laughs> but let us read in Exodus 16 what happens next in the story and the next situation that they face. Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And so here we see the Israelites, they've come to this desert of sin, and we know that they're about a month or so into their journey, and they've run out of food. And so what, how do the Israelites respond? Once again, they grumble. They grumble, and they blame Moses and Aaron. And there is just that Mara life pouring out of them again, that bitterness. Suddenly, Egypt seems like the good old days as if it's this all-you-can-eat buffet instead of this land of slavery and bondage. But we know this is not the case. We saw in the beginning of Exodus where we read, it said, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor. And so we know that the Israelites, they worked, oh, the Egyptians worked the Israelites. 
they, they would have given them scraps to eat. And besides, all these plagues that had happened had killed all the livestock, had killed all the crops, and so there was nothing good to go back to. There was no food. But here the Israelites are disillusioned and they are blinded by their self-pity. They just want their immediate needs to be met. There's this slave mentality coming out again where they are just losing sight of who God is and the promises that he has for them. They are basically asking to go back to Egypt and they want to trade this freedom that they've just been given for slavery. And so how does God respond to them? We see that God is good. He rains down bread from heaven for them. He rains down manna. And not only does he provide this bread, he provides the meat in the form of quail. And here God is, is, he's addressing that grumble of theirs, which is that pots of meats back in Egypt, this buffet they had. So God is saying, in the morning when you wake up, there will be manna on the floor, and at night I will send you quail. And not only will I provide for today, you only have to collect enough for today because tomorrow there will be more. The next day, there will be more, and the next, and the next. And then he tells them, on the sixth day, I want you to collect a double portion, because on the seventh day, I'm going to give you rest. I don't want you to to, be prepping food. And so God would provide this manna and this quail for them for 40 years that they're on the desert, not missing one day. You would think that the Israelites would realize by now that God is is faithful and can be trusted. But yeah, let's look what happens next in the story. Read with me in Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so here we see they have run out of water, And the Israelites' response is they're quite demanding. They tell Moses, give us water. And they're quite angry at this point because it suggests in the text that they are almost ready to stone him. And so, yeah, they are pretty upset. And they blame leadership. They blame Moses. Instead of blaming themselves for not operating in the faith in their living God. See, God had provided water and food for them moments ago. The manna would have still been on the floor that morning, and the cloud would have still been in the sky that, that day. But yet they still doubt God. They actually leave God out of the complaint. Moses tells them, why do you put the Lord to the test? And were they putting God to the test by forgetting him completely? They blame Moses as if their divine deliverer is not even present in this situation. Moses summarizes their test with one single question. He asks them, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? 
And the thing is, you cannot see God among you when you're so wrapped up in your situation and in the negativity, and your head is down and you're pouting. You need to look up. You need to look around. You need to see the manna on the floor. You need to see the cloud in the sky. You need to see the, the miracles and the wonders that God is doing around you to show you that he is present. And so how does God respond to these unfaithful people? Once again, he, he provides. He tells Moses, I want you to take the elders and I want you to take that staff, the staff that you've had since the beginning, and I want you to go to that specific rock. And so Moses obeys. He takes the elders, takes the staff, and he goes to the specific rock. And God says, I want you to strike this rock. And so Moses strikes the rock and water gushes out and there is water for everybody to drink. And again, God does another miracle because just as food does not fall from the sky, water does not come out a rock. And God provides for these people not because they are faithful. I mean, they've been grumbling and complaining. But he provides for them because he is faithful. And God is choosing these fundamental physical needs of food and water to teach them fundamental spiritual issues. And that is to show them that, that, that he is a God of the impossible that he is a God who provides, a God who can be trusted. He is a God that is faithful and that he alone is the only one that can sustain them because he is the bread of life and he is the living water and that those who drink from him will not thirst and those who eat from him will never be hungry again. Because just as this manna comes from heaven, God would send his son in the form of a man from heaven he would be the bread of life himself. And the New Testament tells us clearly that this rock which Moses struck was none other than Jesus Christ himself. We read this in 1 Corinthians 10 where it tells us, all of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. And so this rock in the desert is the pre-incarnate Christ. And the significance of this rock is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Because just as Moses struck this rock with the rod and the judgment and the power of God, that staff, God would strike Jesus Christ with the sins of men and we would have eternal life. And so here we see this manna coming from the sky or from heaven, which is Jesus Christ, we see this rock being struck, which is Christ dying on the cross for us. And we see this water gushing out, which would be the Holy Spirit or the gift of eternal life. And so we must ask ourselves, isn't God good, this ultimate provider? We then see the Israelites, they are still camped in Rephidim. And what follows next is an ambush and a war. Let's, let's read on and see what happens. Exodus 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the mountain with the staff of God in my hands. And so here we see the Amalekites. They come and they ambush the Israelites um, as they are at their weakest. They're in a desert. They're in a place that it's unfamiliar to them. They are probably hot and tired from all the traveling. 
and they are like gypsies carrying everything they own. And so here they attack them while they're at their weakest. And the thing is, the Israelites, they were slaves for hundreds of years. They didn't know how to fight a war. God had fought the battle for them in Egypt. He had parted the oceans for them, so they didn't even have to um, attack the, um, the Egyptians coming after them. And so here they have to trust God to help them to fight the battle that is before them. And so we see Joshua is told they must choose men. And then Moses, Aaron, and Hur would go to the top of the hill, and Moses would hold up his staff. Let's read on what happens. It says, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so here it tells us that Josh, uh, Moses held up that staff till sunset where they actually won the battle. And then what Moses does is he builds an altar in remembrance. And he calls this altar Jehovah Nissi, which is the God or the Lord is my banner. Because you see that staff, that banner in the hands of Moses was the visible image of the protection and the power of God. Because not, um, Moses, he grew tired. His hands grew tired, and so that staff would fall. And so not even Israel's exalted leader was the source of this strength or of this victory. It was God. And so we might ask ourselves, why is God revealing himself as a, a banner over battle? This is something that we might not understand in our culture today. But back in the day, when troops went into battle, a banner was raised as a rallying point. On the battlefield, soldiers could easily get lost, and they would um, then look for their banner, and it would show them how far their army had gotten. It would uh, show them where they were needed and where they were safe. And so when they realigned to this point, they knew that they were with their people and they were safe there. And so here the Israelites, they are building a political um, kingdom. They need to establish themselves as a nation. But we, we aren't doing that. We are establishing a spiritual kingdom. We are fighting a spiritual battle here. Because Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. And so our banner and the banner that we stand under is the blood of Christ. It is him who protects us. And when, we, and when Christ wins, we win. We have victory in him. And under his banner, we have this protection. And by choosing God as our banner, we say that I rally behind the Lord God Almighty. It is him who I fix my eyes on, and it is him who I will follow. He is my victory. And so today, we've been looking at different events um, or different things that have happened in the desert. We've been following the Israelites. But I think today we can find ourselves also in the story because we too are in our own wilderness. We've seen um, how God, just like the um, Israelites, he has taken them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he is leading them to this promised land. 
just in the same way he's called us out of slavery and he is calling us to this promised land, which is heaven. But before we can get there, we are also in this desert, in this in-between time here on earth, which he is wanting to come and use to prep our hearts, to teach us, um, to show us who he is. He is wanting to come and change the slave mentality that we have. And he wants us to help, uh, to help us to acknowledge and grasp this thing um, and this new identity of being children of God. Because like the Israelites, if we cannot see the physical signs before us, how will we see the greater things and the greater mysteries of God? If we cannot see the manna on the floor and accept that provision, how are we supposed to accept the bread of life himself that he will send us? And so today, we've been looking at the text, and we can maybe ask ourselves, what is currently hindering us from seeing and, and experiencing this new, the character of God, the nature of God? Some of the things we saw in the text as we looked at the Israelites is we saw that they, were, they forgot who God was. So they struggled with something called spiritual amnesia or a thanklessness. And so we ask ourselves, are we maybe, is that something we struggle with? Have we maybe faced a situation in our life where God has come through for us and then here where we face it again, we kind of forget that God um, can do it again. We don't have faith for this situation. We forget that God can come through for us. Maybe another one is, is that we focus on a certain circumstance or on our immediate needs. You kind of have tunnel vision. You kind of, you, you're focusing on what you lack or what, you know, what's not working. And so you, you miss what God is wanting to do for you. Another thing is that the Israelites struggled with was a slave mentality. They kept looking back at the past. Is that something you do? Do you keep looking back at your past, the things that have happened? Maybe it's the before you were saved or became, became a child of God. You think of that as the good old days or before I was saved, I used to, and you kind of reminisce on the, the good old days because you'd rather go back to a place of familiarity versus having faith for what God wants to do now. You'd rather remain in that slave mentality than push through to see um, and experience this new life as a child of God. Maybe you blame leadership for your problems. Is it your boss at work? Maybe you think you can run the business a bit better. It's the government. It's easy to complain and yeah, um, be negative about what's going on at your work or in the, in, yeah, in, in the government. Instead of thinking, hey, maybe I can be a contributor. How can I um, um, have a positive change? What can I be doing? Maybe it's even here at church. You blame your life group leader or someone for not maybe giving you enough spiritual food or, uh, yeah, leading you spiritually. Instead of maybe going at home and it's your quiet time that you focus on, you're seeking God for yourself and your own spiritual growth. And so what I found in all of these situations as you know, these things that um, hinder us from seeing God, one thing that uh, time and time again helps us overcome this is thankfulness. And we read it this morning. Colin shared a story with us or a scripture. Because as we start to thank God for the things we have, and that can literally just be the roof over your head, the food on your table, friends, family, loved ones, and as you slowly start to name all the things that you are thankful for, you will start to see God's hand in it all. 
Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so if you're struggling to see who God is, start with being thankful. Maybe you need to keep a journal and write a testimony down. Or maybe it's a gratitude journal, just writing the things that you're thankful for. And so that when you forget who God is, you go back to this journal and you can just be reminded of, hey, God is good and he will do it again. Another thing that is amazing is just community. I think for me this week, I, yeah, I really had a situation that I was struggling with and it really consumed me. Um, and I think sometimes when you, yeah, before you speak on a topic, God really comes and tests you on it. And so this week, my faith was a bit shaky and I was really just consumed with this situation and I couldn't see God and I was struggling to remember who he was. But it took community to just come and remind me again hey, you're focusing a little bit too closely on this thing. And they were calling me back to what God had called me to and who, and yeah, what the purposes he had for me. And so I could lift my eyes off of the situation and I could be encouraged to have faith in God again and that he hadn't forgotten about the things that he had promised me. And so even as we are like the Israelites, even as me, we get these little tests. We forget God can provide the water We fail the tests. God doesn't disqualify us. He is compassionate and he is merciful. And like a a father, he bends down and he just comes and he reassures us. And he comes to teach us time and time again the things that we've forgotten. Because even though we are unfaithful, he still wants to come and show us who he is. And today we saw three characteristics of God. We saw that he is a healer, he is a provider, and he is a banner. But there are thousands of names for him. There are thousands of characteristics. So, and he is wanting to come show you more of who he is. Some of those things are things like God Almighty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Creator, Alpha and Omega, Prince of Peace, the Great I Am, Redeemer, Refuge, Shield, Strength, Everlasting God, God, our rock, wonderful counselor, the good shepherd, the Lord, our righteousness, the most high, the God who sees, the all-sufficient one, faithful, compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, rich in love, Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God. And so we need to ask ourselves, is the Lord among us or not? I can confidently say, yes, he is. We just need to be seeking him. The band can come up. And so today, ask yourself as we go into a time of worship, who is God wanting to come and reveal to you that he is? Maybe today you need to be um, reminded that he is a provider or that he is a healer. Maybe you are needing to know that he is a God who sees, that maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression or something is just very... Yeah, just tough in your life right now, and you just need to know that you are not alone, that he is a God who sees. And so as we go into time of worship now, let us be thinking about what current situation are we facing, and what is God wanting to come reveal to you about himself? Yeah, thank you. We'll go into a time of worship, and then um, Colin will be up to lead us in communion. And I think this is just a really good time to be reflecting. Let me pray for us. 
Yeah, Lord, I just thank you that you're this big generational God, Lord, that today we could just see a few of your characteristics, but we can know that there is just so much more to you, Lord. Thank you that we cannot box you up, we cannot fathom you, that you are just so greater than anything we could ever imagine, that there is no God like you. And so today, Lord, I just pray that each and every single person here today will have a new revelation of who you are. Come and remind them who you are, Lord. Come speak into their specific circumstance. Come and show to the person who needs to know that you're a provider, that you will provide. To the person who needs to know that they are seen, would you just come show them that you are a God who sees. And yeah, Lord, I just pray that we would have a hunger, that we wouldn't just think we've arrived or we know you, but that we would continue to hunger and to seek you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, just come and reveal yourself to us now. Amen.